Perverted. Brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hello and welcome everyone to the Afroverted podcast. And thank you for joining me as I bring you insights and analyses on global affairs. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Anna Bajo, an esteemed international relations and security studies lecturer at Nkumba University in Uganda. And she's joining me to discuss a recent development in Russia. On December 19th, 2023, Russia's President Vladimir Putin and Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu held a year-end meeting to review the military achievements of 2023. As we all know, the year has been a tumultuous year marked by geopolitical tensions and conflicts. And in this episode, we'll delve into the key takeaways from this meeting and analyze its implications for international relations moving forward. A little bit about our guest, Dr. Abaho is a renowned expert in the field of international relations and security studies, as I've mentioned previously, with extensive experience in research and teaching. Her insights and perspectives will provide us with a deeper understanding of the current state of international relations and help us make sense of the complex geopolitical landscape we find ourselves in today. So join us as we explore the latest developments in international relations with Dr. Anna Abaho. Let's go. Dr. Abaho, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the AfriVerdict podcast. Now, before we jump to the questions, let's hear a takeaway from the meeting between Russia's President and Minister of Defense. Comrades, a year ago, at this meeting, we discussed priority tasks and the special military operation. We had discussed additional measures to strengthen the army and the navy. Today we will discuss what has been done over this period and uh, which areas require further improvement. 2023 was a difficult year. Our soldiers and officers, commanders at all levels, carried out their missions during the special military operation courageously and professionally. During the sovereignty of our country, the global level, during strategic parity and the security of Russia, high combat readiness of all units was ensured. Our combat training was carried out as planned technical and personnel issues were resolved as expected and i would like to thank all the personnel for carrying out their duty on high standard i'm especially grateful to all those who are fighting on the front lines and are carrying out difficult combat military operation deflecting attacks by enemy unmanned vehicles and attacks by uh, sabotage groups in the western parts of the country. And I would also like to note the unprecedented support of the people, the patriotic majority of our people, the consolidation and solidarity of people of different creeds different ethnicities. This is our firm foundation. We will always be faithful 
to the cause to which our comrades gave their lives. The events of this year have confirmed, as we all see, that the West is continuing its hybrid war against Russia, actively supplying the Kiev regime with a, a recon information in real time, sending its military advisors, providing state-of-the-art armaments and uh, uh, missile systems, including a long-range um, systems, cluster munitions, and various kinds of UAVs. As we know, they are planning to provide multi-purpose uh, combat fighters F-16. Preparations are underway for that. The military activity of uh, the NATO bloc is uh, now increased. We're seeing military equipment closer to our borders. The alliance is uh, active in Central Europe. Finland has already been dragged into NATO. We're planning accession as well. This means that the alliance is planning another stage in drawing closer to our borders. In 1991, they promised to Gorbachev that they would not move an inch eastwards, but that's the kind of partners they are. They're lying outright on every step. The aggressive character of the bloc is not being concealed by any defensive language anymore. They used to say that it's a political organization, but nobody has ever um, cancelled Article 5. So this aggressive character is uh, out in the open. Doctrinal documents manifest their aspiration towards global dominance from its strategy of containing Russia and its aggressive aims in Ukraine. And the West has gone on to pursue them and is not going to put them down. And we are not going to stop either. Assessing the situation on the contact line, we can say that our troops have the initiative, we are doing what we think necessary. And when you and the commanders levels think it is necessary to engage in active defense, we're doing that, and uh, where it is possible, we are improving our positions. The enemy is suffering significant losses and has wasted its reserves in trying to show its masters that they are capable of some kind of result of the so-called counteroffensive. And the myth of the invincibility of Western military equipment has been dispelled. All the attempts to cause a strategic defeat that the West has talked about broke apart when faced with the courage of the Russian soldiers, when faced with the power of the Russian army and the potential of our military defense, our sector. The special military operation has uncovered certain problems as well. We need to rebuild our communication system and to improve our use of our reconnaissance means and counter-battery tactics. We need to increase the capabilities of our satellite constellations and, and global communications. We must increase high-precision munitions 
and increased production of various kinds of UAVs. And I know that changes are happening and uh, they are happening quickly, but we need to strengthen this trend. Missile defense systems need to be improved as well. The Panzer and the book S-300 and S-400 systems are well known and work smoothly. Best in class. But things that we didn't notice before, the small things that we preferred ignore, like UAVs and other things, turned out to be causing damage. So this cannot be ignored any longer. So I know that so we are responding and our guys are fighting. In the, at the front lines, and those who will receive the awards can tell you about that, but we still need to work more actively in this regard. Systemic tasks will be first considering the changing threat landscape and the appearance of new political risks. The role of the nuclear triad is increased as it ensures that the strategic balance of forces in the world. This year, thanks to the consistent implementation of the aid program to boost our armaments, we are seeing 95% level of modern equipment and the strategic forces, and the sea component has almost 100%. Strategic forces will receive 15 YAS and avant-garde missile complexes until the end of the year. Uh, we have commissioned uh, four new submarines recently. Last week, I uh, saw the Krasnoyarsk multipurpose nuclear-powered submarine and the Emperor Alexander III submarine, which is equipped with the Boulevard ballistic missiles. The aviation component is also being modernized. Four, two, one, 60M missile carriers have been put into operation, and we need to support and maintain a combat readiness at a high level, and all the plans will be implemented. Look, we have observed an increased number of visits and um, signed memorandums of understanding between Russia and African countries. How do African states view military cooperation with Russia? And could we say that Russian technology and arms are preferable on the continent? I think that African countries are not about to cut relations with the Western world for reasons that... Uh, African countries still have a historical touch thanks to colonialism. Many of African leaders that you see today were taught uh, in the West or have had their children go to the West. Very many African leaders have investments in the West, um, investments which at any time X, if the Western countries fear, they were probably generated through corruption and misuse of public funds could be taken away anyway. But um, you find that very many African leaders from West Africa to East have investments in the U.S. So an increase in the number of uh, MOUs that have been signed, uh, the military cooperation, whether we can say that Russia is uh, a preferable one now? No, uh, I think it is the, it is the 
the best offer that is now on the block. Certainly, African countries are trying to, even when they are opening relations, renewing relations, um, rethinking their relations with Russia, many African countries are still very strategic to ensure they do not hurt the Western world as well. And, and, and clearly, um, the voting at the UN over Russia and Ukraine, uh, the fact that some did not chose not to uh, say yes or no, is a clear indicator that they want uh, support, economic, military, social, and any other available um, um, from either camp. Of course, educational uh, support, we have uh, many African countries having their students study in Russia. Um, we also have, of course, Russia influence global politics. So you certainly want to, uh, to ally with either side for your own benefit. You know, of course, that... Uh, the only thing that is eternal in international politics is nothing but interest. So when interests change, um, I don't think they will hesitate to withdraw from Russia to any other country that is of their choice. And to what extent can African countries see this as an example of a possibility of getting rid of the hegemony of the West and contribute to the creation of a truly multipolar world? I don't think so. I think that even when we move into a, a more poorer world, African countries do not have the opportunity to choose a single player in this more poorer world. Yes, we are moving into a more poorer world. We have uh, many more players beyond uh, um, uh, the capitalist and Eastern camp. We have China now. It still belongs anyway. It still identifies more with the Eastern camp. We have other countries like India, we have um, countries like Japan. Yes, all these are on board, but uh, some of these countries have uh, a not very good relationship with the West. But that doesn't mean that they will uh, move entirely to the Eastern side. For instance, Japan has had uh, uh, not a very good record with USA, thanks to the events of the Second World War. India does not have very good relations, very good uh, um, history with UK, thanks to colonialism. But even then, that does not mean that they are going to move um, entirely to relate with Russia. I think that African countries need to be a little bit more tactical in their foreign policy. Uh, African leaders must be very calculative in what exactly is of strategic interest to the, West, to the African continent. African leaders must realize that uh, even when Russia is on board, most of the global resources, especially in terms of finance and influence, is still controlled by the Western world. Um, international financial institutions, uh, global trade is all literally controlled by the Western world. And of course, we know that when the Western world goes through these whether it is the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank or the World Trade Organization, it is easier to cut you off as a, a single African country as they maintain relationship with the rest of the others, provided their interests are taken care of. So on the question of military wear, uh, I don't think that uh, preferences for Russian arms. I think that Russia now seems to be 
a better pick in terms of who to support the African continent militarily. Certainly, we have had relations with uh, we have had relations with uh, with uh, um, uh, Russia and 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 Niger. We have seen Russia in East Africa. We have seen Russia in West Africa. We know that uh, Russia sponsors some of the intelligence uh, um, where in African countries. We also know that Russia, and despite the fact that uh, it is militarily strong and probably one would think if we put together the military capacity of the African countries, Russia would certainly outweigh the military capacity, but it still needs Africa, especially in terms of uh, um, United Nations politics. Indeed, you will remember that when Russia was at war with, um, with Ukraine, uh, some African countries choose, chose not to, to vote either side. And this takes us back to where we came from, the 1940s, 50s politics, where the non-aligned movement gave African countries and those that were not interested in the bloc politics to stand on, um, to be a little bit neutral and maintain relations with uh, both the East and the West. Again, um, on the question of, um, I think this is what I started with, getting rid of the hegemony of Western contribute the creation of a multipolar world. Um, we may not be able to tell exactly when the multipolar world uh, came, when it will come, when it will end. Um, but what we know is that today we have more than two players. What we know is that today we have uh, we have Brazil, we have BRICS generally. What we know is that today we have uh, um, countries, regions, you know, saying no to some of uh, of uh, the decisions taken on on the global level, and probably reworking their own interests through regional groupings. Uh, we have the we have the Sadak, we have the ECOWAS, we have the Maghreb region, we have we have as many as as we can think of. So the hegemony, um, especially American hegemony in international politics, yes, has been a little bit shaken, but has not been cast away completely, uh, like I mentioned earlier, because America influences. Uh, you know, those other institutions that inform international politics, especially uh, the World Bank and IMF. Judging by the events in Ukraine, how has the situation changed the global power balance, in your opinion? So can we, judging by the events in Ukraine, has that changed the global power balance? Yes, it has. Um, um, there are those who predicted that NATO is going to win Russia that soon Russia will be down, uh, Russia is going to lose it. But Russia has proved that uh, even when it has, it has engaged in a, in a battle almost single-handedly, it has not yet been completely defeated. I think finally that the, the war in Russia, just as the war in, uh, in Israel and Hamas, um, might end, might go silent, but violence will not go silent. We don't see America giving up anytime soon on the Ukraine question. 
we don't see Ukraine giving up anytime soon, um, especially because it knows it has that military and economic support. Of course, the international system has tried to restrain Russia in very many ways. And Russia has also indicated that it is not going to be restrained. We have had China, uh, you know, play the, um, the position in the middle. Uh, certainly, definitely, it identifies with Russia uh, because of uh, China's position also in Asia. But the fact that it, it identifies with, uh, with Russia it does not mean that it doesn't have anything to benefit in its relations with U.S. So it has to balance as well. But the power balance uh, has shifted because um, in the in the at the end of the of the Cold War, you know, writers, the Fukuyamas, um, indicated that the you know, liberalism had won over all other ideologies. And, and there was this false belief that the world was going to live peacefully thereafter, uh, riding on the philosophy and ideology of idea of uh, liberalism. But it is clear that liberalism is not working. It is clear that uh, not every country has the liberty to choose where, how, and when it wants to move, or where it wants to identify, or who it wants to identify with. And so the Ukrainian question is a clear indicator that even when uh, 1991 came and the Cold War ended, we still live in a world shaped by the Cold War uh, politics. Dr. N, so Vladimir Putin underlined the explicit aggressive nature of NATO as claims to global superiority are directly enshrined in U.S. documents. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, on uh, the question of whether NATO has... Uh, um, um, how NATO has increased uh, uh, deployments to the borders of Russia and uh, what this translates into in terms of U.S. superiority. I think the United States is globally known as uh, a military player. It's um, a huge animal in the den, really, when it comes to use of uh, military power to achieve its, its interests. We have seen NATO, not just in Ukraine, but we saw NATO in Libya. We saw the U.S. move um, unilaterally into Iraq. We have seen U.S. in Afghanistan. We have seen U.S. across um, wherever and whenever it can. The history of uh, U.S.'s use of military as a strategy in foreign policy is not recent, surely. So military and militarism is part and parcel of global foreign policy making. But to the extent that the U.S. has uh, increasingly deployed uh, against Russia and in favor of Ukraine, and not uh, U.S. itself deploying, but using um, a military, a regional military group, is one, um, swallow the entire region, into a military approach against against uh, um, Russia. Secondly, U.S. will not take entirely the blame. Um, should NATO um, misbehave, should NATO lose, where things go wrong, U.S. has an opportunity to say we lost as a, it has a chance to say I am not the one who lost, but it is the region that lost. Uh, I am sure you are aware of uh, the policy 
um, especially among most military groups, regional military groups, that an attack on one is an attack on all. And so when U.S. goes through Russia, it draws into the, the war, uh, Britain, it draws into the war, uh, more than 20-something countries into, into the, the Russia-Ukraine question. Um, is it enshrined in U.S. documents? Yes, it is. Um, again, when you look at uh, the politics of the United States in global affairs and the position of the United States in global affairs, you remember the response against Japan. It was uh, not just um, military, but it was uh, extreme use of military. Uh, if you jump very fast to 2001, you realize that in 2002, they created the national security strategy. And the national security strategy was basically seeing America first. Um, we have seen very many cases where America has used the preemptive attacks Again, it's suspected enemies. Uh, we have seen cases where America has um, has gone against international rules of proportionality and, and fairness and balance in its military approach. Uh, definitely when it attacks, it attacks to, uh, to uh, literally get you off the globe, delete you off the globe, um, just to show the superiority and the power that it has. Um, just so to add, America is also known for the military-industrial um, complex. It certainly has uh, a number of uh, drones, has a number of um, uh, trained uh, personnel. Uh, the Navy, uh, the, the air capacity, the armored vehicles, um, you know, all sorts of uh, equipments and personnel required to bring victory home for America. Yes, of course, sometimes it doesn't go right. Um, we know about uh, what happened in, in, uh, in Somalia in 1993, uh, but it was probably as a result of miscalculation. Uh, but whether this is enshrined in American documents, it is enshrined in American documents. To the extent that even the uh, economic capacity of America um, is built on the military capacity of the country, um, for where the U.S. feels that its its interests, uh, economic interests, are threatened, it draws onto its uh, military capacity uh, to penetrate um, that that particular country where its interests are at stake, um, and and this is very clear in the attack against um, Iraq and its uh, current presence, whether, whether the, the presence is pronounced or silent, but its involvement in the Middle East, it is clear with its involvement in Africa. Um, they will oftentimes talk about Congo, for instance, and how Congo is, uh, um, is an undemocratic state, how Congo uh, is ungovernable, but no one will talk about the role of the United Nations in Congo. And of course, we know that the United Nations is largely backed by the U.S. thanks to the veto power it has on the United Nations Security Council. We are also aware that um, uh, the enshrining we are talking about, uh, if we jump again back to Congo, you know about the CIA involvement in the murder of Patrice Rumumba and very many other leaders across the globe where the American 
Americans and American leadership feel like their interests are uh, are at stake. Uh, it was mentioned that Western countries supplied 5,220 tanks, armored vehicles, 28 planes, 23,000 drones, over 1,300 artillery systems to Ukraine. And the country receives 203 billion U.S. dollars from external sponsors, which is 30 billion U.S. dollars more than its GDP. Considering the fact that Russia still has the upper hand, what do these figures tell us about the effectiveness of Western arms? Okay, on whether the figures translate into anything meaningful for Russia, um, of course, I, I think that the world is largely tired of, uh, of war. There's a lot of fatigue. Uh, from the biggest population across the world, if you look today at the events happening in uh, in uh, uh, the war between Israel and Hamas, Palestine, uh, if you look at the conflicts that have happened across the world, uh, particularly in the developing world, yeah. if you look at the role of uh, uh, the powers, the superpowers, um, the hidden role that they play, uh, sponsoring violence, you know, uh, supplying weapons, just as the case is now, um, that uh, um, NATO, America, Europe is supplying weapons, uh, even when, of course, countries like Germany wouldn't want to be entangled into the war. Uh, but because of um, a regional approach to the question uh, of Ukraine, you find that uh, uh, America can uh, uni on a unilateral, uh, um, maybe bilateral basis, America and, uh, and Ukraine supply these weapons. Uh, but even then, even when these weapons are on the ground, you certainly need men and women to run them. Even when these weapons are on the ground, you need skills to run them. And yet, um, we cannot say that the weapons being supplied by the U.S., um, are a hundred times better than what Russia has. They certainly compete in terms of uh, the efficiency um, and effectiveness of the weapons they are using um, in, you know, uh, driving the art and science of killing. So even when America supplies these weapons, it could be to stage, um, you know, a military artillery, but not necessarily, probably probably not necessarily uh, to have the conflict run on um, because um, an attack, a direct attack um, with these weapons against Russia is a direct call for Russia to respond. So the best is to have Russia and Ukraine face it off while America and Europe play um, a seemingly um, you know, the kind of we are there, we are not yet there, we hope for uh, a truce, we don't want to engage you directly, we want Ukraine to be the one to take it on, and for us we shall just be pushing uh, Ukraine from the background, yes, but I don't think that the world is, is ready for a third world war, even when we have many players um, across the world that are ready to to have the war happen. And this is an indicator um, of the of uh, 
the, the factors and conditions that influence the execution of foreign policy. Certainly, presidents, um, regional leaders may have views about how a particular issue should be run, uh, but you find you are constrained maybe by legislative uh, uh, controls, you're limited by maybe um, other players uh, like regional groupings by economic reasons, uh, economic factors conditioning, you know, the behavior of countries you are conditioned by public opinion, what will the world think about us, and many others. But that notwithstanding, the um, US will also and has already supplied weapons to its allies. Uh, I, I think the history is clear uh, that uh, for those countries that allied with the US, they received a lot of military support uh, for countries that have allied with the U.S. contemporary times, uh, like Kenya, um, um, uh, like uh, like Britain itself in the post-Second World War environment, like German, you know, they all received some form of support, whether economic or military, um, or, or even if it was, uh, you know, favor in international discussions, uh, relating to policies and, and, and you know, uh, recoveries among the others. So even when Russia has an upper hand, what do these figures tell us about the effectiveness of uh, Western arms? Um, arms are effective if it is, uh, if the players are willing to go, you know, full-blown war. And you see, the 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 complexity is that um and indeed like russia put it it does not want to fight the u.s so uh, russia has clearly said it, it does not want to fight with nato so if russia does not want to fight with you then probably the best thing is uh, don't fight russia um and, and again the the thing about uh you know, arms, arms control, arms use is that you you can really never know how much capacity a country has. Yes, we we would we can argue until you know daybreak about whether America and Russia, which one is superior to the other in terms of uh, military capacity, but you don't know how the shape of global politics is going to change. Should China, for instance, choose to go in favor of one of the players. Certainly, NATO has more players, um, but even again within NATO, there are those countries which don't want to be dragged into, you know, directly into the conflict because of economic reasons. Germany is one of them. There are those which will not want to be dragged in because the public opinion at home does not permit them to. Uh, there are those which we, you know, just wouldn't want to be driven by a, by a false American ideology of, uh, you know, containment of the spread of socialism or, or even, uh, you know, continuing to weaken Russia uh, as, as though there is, you know, as though the whole world rotates around Russia and, and the, the United States. So when Putin says he doesn't want to fight Russia, uh, for purposes of global order, uh, the best is, uh, rather, when Putin says he doesn't want to fight NATO, for purposes of global order, the best is for NATO countries not to attack Putin. 
And that implies that uh, if he doesn't want to attack and you attack, uh, that's a direct call for Russia to fight back. So probably um, NATO will supply all these arms. Uh, NATO will uh, will give all strategies to Zelensky. Um, NATO will stand in for uh, for Ukraine, uh, but NATO will not directly hit Russia because we don't know who is going to come in um, on the side of of, uh, of Russia. There are many others. We just talked about the Marpora world. There are those others which seem small, but will be very willing to come to the aid of, uh, to the aid really, to ally with Russia in this case. Russia's president also stated that the country never intended and still doesn't intend to fight with NATO countries. What is the demonization of Russia by the West say about its approach to global stability? It is common culture for the U.S. to demonize those countries that are not allied to it. Um, and, and the demonization of Russia is again historical. Even for American presidents that seem to be liberal, that seem to be are driven by principles of idealism and democracy, uh, the likes of Woodrow Wilson. Um, by the early 1900s, they had this belief that Russia was being driven by selfish leaders, you know. Um, and so the best was to fight off socialism and replace it with uh, with capitalism. So I, I think that um, we may not see um, a favorable global order for all of us soon because uh, what we see with Putin is he's ready and willing to you know, stand in favor of Russia against um, uh, this forceful move by the U.S. to get countries that were earlier on under the control of Russia into an orbit of capitalism. And so while uh, Zelensky and Ukraine or the Ukrainians may want to, to take an independent decision and say we want to join NATO, um, yeah, Russia is not going to, to permit it to happen because history has, uh, has uh, indicated that when um, U.S. and Russia chose who their allies were, an attempt to move from one camp to another, you know, called for war and, and you know, uh, supply of weapons and, you know, um, keeping leaders in power that didn't deserve to be kept in power just so the interests were not antagonized with. Grain update. Cargo ships carrying a free shipment of Russian grain for Burkina Faso and the Central African Republic have arrived at transit points in West Africa. The grain has been unloaded and delivered by land to its destination. As Russia's grain shipments continue to arrive in Africa, Nala Haruna, Secretary General of the Revolutionary Front for African Sovereignty, shares his opinion on the significance of Russia's aid to the African countries. As far as we're concerned, we have a global appreciation of the relationship between Africa and Russia. Russia has agreed to cooperate on loyal terms with African countries, and we feel that the arrival of these cereals is a good thing given that African countries you mentioned, for the moment, are struggling to achieve food self-sufficiency. For the time being, the granting of this grain by Russia 
is one of the elements that will enable us to address the concerns of our populations with partners who respect our sovereignty and respect their commitments to African countries in an honest manner. If today the grain has arrived in the Central African Republic, we say that it's a good thing and that it only strengthens the relationship between Russia and the Central African Republic in particular, which has been the object of a certain imperialist aim on the part of countries such as the West. They are trying to bring these brotherly countries that are genuinely seeking cooperation, worthwhile, such as that with Russia, to their knees. We believe that His Excellency Russian President Vladimir Putin manages to honor this promise on time. We believe that Putin shows the greatness of a leader who knows what he is doing and who can be counted on as a partner of Africa today. We believe that by agreeing to honor this commitment, Putin is demonstrating the greatness that I mentioned earlier, and the result is there. If grain arrives in the countries we mentioned above, I do believe that the result could only be positive because it would respond to the legitimate aspirations of the people, i.e. to take charge of our social problems, the problem of food, which is the first problem of every nation. And the success of every nation in becoming self-sufficient in grain has an impact on its independence and sovereignty. Today, with this commitment honored by His Excellency Vladimir Putin, we believe that the results are nothing short of tangible. Not like the Western thugs who make promises only to impose conditionalities because they've decided to pretend to help us. But here, you have seen that Putin has accepted his responsibilities, he has decided to take action, and he has done so. And we congratulate him, and we say that the Russia-Africa relationship is going from strong to stronger, and we salute the greatness of His Excellency President Vladimir Putin for this consideration for the African continent. Thank you everyone for joining me today as we analyze this important meeting in Russia's politics with Dr. Anna Bajo. I hope you found our discussion interesting. And as we wrap up this episode, I'd like to remind our listeners that international relations are constantly evolving, constantly changing, and it's essential to stay informed and engaged in the global conversation. So to do so, check out our Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials to remain updated on the most important global and local events. You can also listen to the Afroverted podcast on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addict, Castbox, Afropods, as well as Pocket Casts. I encourage you to continue following the Afroverted podcast for more in-depth analysis and insights into global affairs. And if you have any feedback, suggestions or questions, feel free to get in touch. This is your host, Victor Anakin, and I'll see you next time. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.